The field of women's health extends far beyond reproductive health, now encompassing physical, mental, and emotional well-being, broadly conceived. Over the past half century, there have been important advances related to reproductive health, women's well-being throughout the life course, and cardiovascular disease and cancer in women. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Cynthia Stunkel, a clinical professor at the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine. As part of the journal's series in honor of the 50th anniversary of the Institute of Medicine, now called the National Academy of Medicine, Dr. Stunkel has co-authored a perspective article about progress in women's health. Dr. Stunkel, when was women's health recognized as its own field of medicine? And then what were the first priorities of researchers in the area? I think looking at some of the OBGYN historical literature, it goes back quite some time when people were first identifying that they could reduce purpural infections at the time of delivery by washing their hands. And so I think that was some of the early development of women's health. As we currently think of it, I do think that this 50-year time frame is important just because of a couple of things. One, the advances that have occurred both in medicine and in our health policy world. And secondly, personally, I really think that some of these advances are occurring because we have reached a critical mass of women as physicians and policymakers and legislators, and all that has helped to move many of these advances forward. So over these 50 years, how have knowledge of the field and the focus of research efforts evolved? There have definitely been shifts in emphasis from, as you mentioned earlier, reproductive health. And we all acknowledge that that's incredibly important. And that's kind of where the focus, I think, on women's health, as I mentioned, began. But in 1985, the report by the United States Public Health Service Task Force had said, you know, we've got to be looking at a much broader view of women's health involving a number of issues. You mentioned cardiovascular disease and cancer, but also taking a life course perspective. And while in our youth, issues related to reproduction may be most important, but we know that with time and with age, certainly other chronic health disorders can also be manifest and then take priority. In your perspective article, you mentioned the Supreme Court cases that were essential for reproductive autonomy. And you write that reproductive justice is broader than the pro-choice movement. So what does reproductive justice entail and what kind of progress has been made in the area as well as what barriers still exist? Yeah, so as my understanding, reproductive justice really just opens the window from just talking about pregnancy and contraception and abortion to really look at equity and accessibility of all kinds of reproductive health care, including care with pregnancy, pre-pregnancy counseling, and also looking at privilege and rights about parenthood. There have been so many developments in the ways that women can achieve pregnancy that weren't available prior to really almost 1980, and also just being mindful of some of the different social issues that can compromise access to parenthood, be it gender issues, be it disability issues, be it socioeconomic race issues. Even I think in some of the writings about reproductive justice, issues related to incarceration are mentioned. So just being mindful that We need to open our sights to a much broader view of reproduction than just talking about some of the issues in the news that we're seeing right now. 
you note in your article that the United States has one of the highest rates of maternal death among wealthy countries in the world. And maternal mortality is three times as high among black women as among white women in this country. So why do these high maternal mortality inequities persist despite these other advances in reproductive health care that you've talked about? Well, one of the issues that I've come across has been that of systemic racism and bias. And this, to me, is just very disturbing. And I know we mentioned that Black women overall have a three times higher rate of maternal mortality. I was really disturbed at another statistic put out by the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, that said that Black women with equal to or greater than a college degree, so that's getting pretty personal, have a five-fold greater risk than white women with an equal education. So I think we can't just blame this on socioeconomics, that they don't have the same kind of access to healthcare, for example, or access to good nutrition or options for safe and healthy living, though some of those might be factors, but these kind of numbers speak that there is something else going on besides that. And what about menopause? What have we learned about menopause and related symptoms? And how has the framing of that changed over these 50 years? Well, we've come a long way from menopause as being something that in the 1940s was considered an option to treat all women with estrogen, primarily just to make them happier and just a better partner in life to the sense where we have gone through in 2002, the results of an NIH trial called the Women's Health Initiative that really led to seismic change in issues related to hormone therapy and really forced us to step back and take a look about what are the best ways to do this. And so over these past couple decades, I think there's been a great deal of refinement in our understanding about things like risks and benefits of hormone therapy. Most groups now recommend that it is primarily confined to women who have symptoms of menopause and that we know now to start hormone therapy in women who are more uh, younger, under age 60, close in time within 10 years of menopause. And we recommend doing a pretty good job of examining the women to make sure that they don't have excessive cardiovascular risk or breast cancer risk before initiating hormone therapy. One of the other really interesting things to me that's evolved over these decades has been looking harder at what is a hot flash. And this certainly is what I like to call the synchronon for menopause. But rather than just a nuisance syndrome, we're looking that the very simple hot flash might actually be related to issues like endothelial dysfunction. If they last long enough and are severe enough over time, they may be related to cardiovascular risk. So I think one of the exciting things about women's health is that we're always learning more about some of these relationships and about different things that we may have just put in its context and take it for granted that that's how things were until somebody bothered to look a little more closely. So outside of these health issues that predominantly affect women, what have researchers learned over these years about differences in presentation or progression of chronic diseases that affect both men and women? And why are those differences important? Well, the one that I would choose to focus on that would meet that category would be primarily cardiovascular disease. And even though groups like the American Heart and the American College of Cardiology have been working very hard over the last decades to increase awareness and work for both women and clinicians to recognize that number one, women are vulnerable to this as well as men, and that number two, women may differ 
in their symptoms and in their presentation. They may not, but they certainly can differ. And so because of some of this lack of recognition or, I don't know, a cortical blindness amongst women and maybe some clinicians, things can be missed. And so we know that sometimes women have lower rates of preventive strategies like statin use or being referred for coronary reperfusion later or a failure of guideline-based care to be happening. But there also are other newer syndromes that have been recognized, like acknowledging that microvascular coronary artery disease that occurs in men as well, but is certainly more predominant in women, and that it's certainly associated with cardiovascular outcomes that can be of concern. And so the idea being that it just makes sense as we learn more about sex as a biological variable, that we start paying more attention and just increasing our awareness that women can be different and that we can do a better job in our medical approach if we acknowledge that. Finally, looking forward, what do you think are going to be the most important priorities for research and policymaking in women's health? Well, certainly this issue that I mentioned of sex as a biological variable has been one that's been you know, talked about for almost a decade, but I think researchers are really trying to hone in more on this in just a number of different ways as our tools get better to evaluate things like genetics as we become more aware of epigenomic modifiers, just acknowledging as an endocrinologist the difference in hormonal milieu of women and on down the line just to target these areas for greater research. But I think the other thing as we become more aware of social forces, be they political or related to legal situations, is it really looking at how some of the health disparities intersect? And I like that concept of intersectionality because it really is very visual when we're talking about issues related to sex and race and gender or income or, again, disability. And I think, again, casting a wider web to be aware of and mindful of these different variations in how our patients and people will present and just being mindful of that and being able to study that more. I really think that's going to be one of the large focuses going forward. Additionally, I'd like to see better attention and work to the issues of maternal mortality, better options for contraception and means to be able to incorporate that, more work going forward about women's heart health and how to do that. And we really just haven't even had a chance to touch on some of the issues related to cancer, but that as well. But I'm optimistic. I'm excited that some of these topics are being more fully addressed, more fully recognized. And I think that our health force, our legislative force of open-minded and mindful persons and lots of women will help make this happen. Thank you, Dr. Stunkel.